Hello and welcome back to Major League Talk Giants edition. Today is Monday, May 22nd, 2023. My name is Henry and this is episode 16. We're going to be talking about the series against the Miami Marlins, kind of a rematch series from earlier in the year. Uh, and this will be a relatively short episode compared to the rest. I don't have a lot for the quote unquote second half where I kind of go into some other things. Um, so let's just go ahead and get right into it. Uh, this was the 14th series of the year for the Giants and the close to a successful homestand that saw the Giants go five and one across six games. The Marlins came in for a weekend set struggling a little bit themselves with some injuries and last year's NL Cy Young winner was just not quite looking like himself. Uh, however, the series ended up being close with two one-run games and a two-run game to cap it off. For the Giants, the young guys showed up and showed what the farm system can do. The team was joined by two more call-ups, catcher Patrick Bailey, who appeared in all three games, and pitcher Ryan Walker, who appeared in Game 3 and earned the win. In Game 1, the Giants got to Alcantara, scoring a run in the 4th and, and uh, 3 in the 6th, those four runs were enough to win four to three. In game two, it was a pitcher's duel with both starting pitchers going at least six innings. The run that would win the game didn't come until the eighth inning. The Giants lost one to zero. Game three was an eventful game with home runs and great outfield catches. Patrick Bailey hit his first home run and Ryan Walker earned his first win. The Giants won seven to five. The starting pitchers for each game were Alcantara versus DeScafani, Garrett versus Webb, and Lazardo versus Wood. Game one, Jay Sclafani was on the mound. He had a decent outing, but did get into some trouble in the sixth inning, giving up a walk and two doubles to allow the Marlins to score two runs and take a 2-1 lead. He only recorded one out. His final line was five and one-third innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, two walks, six strikeouts. As for our lineup, Wade Jr. was at first. He went 0-3 with a strikeout, a walk, and a run. Estrada was at second. He went 1-4 for four with a strikeout and a run. Davis was DHing. He went 0 for 2 with a walk and an RBI. Conforto was playing right. He went 1 for 3 with a run and an RBI. Uh, and then he was replaced by Johnson. Johnson did not get a chance to have a plate appearance. Hanniger was in left field. He went 2 for 4 with a strikeout, a run, and an RBI. Yaz was in center and then would go to play right um, when Johnson came in. And Yaz went 0 for 2 with two walks. Uh, Schmidt was playing 30, went 1 for 4 with a strikeout and RBI. Sable was catching. He went 0 for 1 with a strikeout and a walk. And then Flores would come in to pinch hit for him. He would go 0 for 1. And then because Flores pinch hit, Bailey came in to catch. And that's how he technically appeared in all three games. Crawford was at short. He went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Total, five hits and 27 at-bats with eight strikeouts, five walks. So first up out of the pen to relieve DeScafani was Alexander, who would walk the first batter and then get a fly out and ground out in the sixth. Brebbia would come out to pitch the seventh, and Bailey was catching, making his debut behind the dish. Brebbia had a 1-2-3 inning with a lined out, line out, ground out, and strikeout. Taylor Rogers came out for the eighth, getting a pop out and a strikeout to retire the first two batters. However, a home run would cause Kapler to go to the other Rogers twin. All three batters Taylor faced worked to full counts, by the way. Tyler got the last out of the eighth on a pop fly. He also came out to pitch the ninth, getting a one-two-three inning on a pop out and two strikeouts to earn the save. The Giants scored via an RBI double in the fourth, back-to-back -back sack flies in the sixth, and an RBI single in the sixth. 
The offense left six on base, went one for five with runners in scoring position with Hanniger hitting a double, Conforto and Davis hitting those back-to-back sack flies, Hanniger and Schmidt earning two out RBIs. Yaz was intentionally walked in the bottom of the eighth. Now, Dave Sclafani threw 84 pitches. He threw out 33 sliders and 31 sinkers with 12 four-seam fastballs, six change-ups, and two knuckle curves. His change-ups were coming in an average of 86.2. The four-seamers, 93.6. The sinkers, 93.6 as well. The sliders, 87.4. The sliders and the knuckle curves did not have much lateral movement. They just had a lot of drop. As for the others, the change-up, the four-seamer, and the sinker tailed in toward a righty with the change-up having the most drop. Same release point, uh, almost five feet, I guess you could say. As for his strike zone uh, distribution, there were a couple that were pretty high, but other than that, it kind of would come. There were some that were in kind of right at the belt and right at the knees to a righty and then down and away and then out and away to a right-handed batter. And one knuckle curve that's just buried. Uh, He threw 38 pitches in the strike zone and 46 out of the zone. Batters would swing at 39 of his pitches and take 45. They swung at one knuckle curve and took the other. As for the rest of the pitches, they took more four-seamers than they swung at. And they took more sinkers than they did sliders. 29 balls, 24 strikes, 16 of them called, 8 swinging. 31 of his pitches were hit in some fashion, 16 for foul tips, 10 for outs, and 5 for base hits. Those base hits were 1 changeup, 2 sinkers, and 2 sliders. He got 8 hard hits, 2 of them fly balls, and then the rest were line drives. As for the ump, Calling the balls and strikes, it was Marvin Hudson on Friday. He's got a 92% overall accuracy with a 92% overall consistency. His overall favor was plus 0.55 runs for Miami. The impactful missed calls that he made in the the first one was bottom of the eighth, hoeing to Conforto, or excuse me, the top-ranked one was in the bottom of the eighth, hoeing to Conforto. Zero outs, runner on first, a 2-0 count. Ball is called a strike. Bottom of the sixth, Alcantara to Wade Jr. No outs, bases empty. 2-1 count, ball is called a strike. Top of the sixth, Alexander to Stallings. Two outs, runners on second and third. First pitch, strike is called a ball. So all three of those impactful missed calls did go against the Giants. That's probably how that overall favor ended up for Miami. However, the Giants did pull out the win, 4-3. His called ball accuracy was 96%. Four of 98 called balls are true strikes, and his called strike accuracy was 84%. Eight of 49 called strikes are true balls. Not terrible, not great. Would like to see a higher called strike accuracy from somebody getting paid to do so, but I understand we are all human. Mistakes happen. Uh, I will go ahead and say that throughout the series, there were quite a few um, pitches on both for both teams that could have been called either way. Some were pretty pretty nice gifts to the pitcher. And like I said, this happened both ways. This was not just, oh, the Giants were getting the bad calls or the Miami Marlins. No, this went both ways. 
from what I saw as I was watching the games. Uh, and Friday night's game did have a pretty interesting display where I believe it was J.D. Davis was up at bat. It was a full count. He did not get in the box and get his eyes up within by the eight second mark. But the ump missed it. All the umps missed it. The catcher didn't miss it. And it seemed like as far as people on the field, he was the only one that caught it. Tried to call a timeout. Looked like the home plate ump kind of called timeout, but the pitcher was already in his windup and was already throwing. And it was a ball. It was outside. And it caused quite a stir where you have and ended up with the catcher and the manager for the Marlins getting tossed from the game. And it they were absolutely in the right, honestly, as far as Davis not being in the box in time and the umps missing it. But I think part of it is that once the ball is thrown, you can't do anything about it, and it's not a reviewable play. So I'll go back and look that up, but I, I I don't think that's a reviewable play. I'm pretty certain it's not. At that point, ball four. So I'm a little surprised that there was nothing about that on there. Anyway, on to game two. Webb was on the mound, and he turned in his first scoreless outing. I've said before, every time I go over web starts, I'm really looking forward to his first scoreless outing. We got it here. It's a shame it wasn't a win. He pitched a great game, having a duel with Marlins pitcher Garrett. Webb would end up going six full innings, giving up four hits and two walks while striking out seven and getting 10 outs on the ground. Our lineup was as follows. Estrada at second, one for four with a strikeout. Flores DHing, 0 for four with a strikeout. Conforto and Wright, 0 for 4 with 4 strikeouts. Davis at 3rd, 0 for 3 with 2 strikeouts. Hanniger and left, 0 for 3 with 1 strikeout. Wade Jr. at 1st, at 0 for 2 with 1 walk. Schmidt at short, 0 for 3. Bailey catching, 1 for 3. Johnson in center, 1 for 3 with a strikeout. That's a whopping 3 hits and 29 at-bats with 10 strikeouts and 1 walk. Rough, rough day for offense. And honestly, the offense on both sides was obviously they clearly hit better. They managed to score one run, but the offense was pretty bad both sides. First out of the pen behind Webb was Junis for the seventh, who got a one, two, three inning, pitching to a ground out and two strikeouts to keep the game 0 0. Tyler Rogers came out for the eighth and was the only pitcher to give up a run in the game. The first batter reached first base on a fielding error by Davis ball kind of went up under him, uh, which was followed by a sacrifice to first to move the runner over to second. The next batter singled scoring the runner from second and landing the base, uh, the batter runner on second. So now one out, one run in runner on second. The next batter grounds out. Arias was intentionally walked in the final batter grounded out. Duvall came out in the ninth, trying to hold the game to one run. The first batter was safe at first on an error by Wade Jr. The, the next three were sat down in order, strikeout, ground out, strikeout. Unfortunately, the offense was unable to score at all in the last inning, uh, striking out twice in the game, and being held to three total hits, two of which came in the eighth from uh, Bailey and Johnson. They left four on base, went 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. Estrada stole a base, and Hanniger grounded out into a double play. The defense turned a double play and had two errors, Davis Fielding and Wade Jr. catching. Bailey earned his first major league hit in his first start. 
So Logan Webb ended up throwing 91 pitches, 45 sinkers, 25 changeups, 19 sliders, and two four seamers. Those changeups were 87.8 average. Sinkers were 92.2. The sliders, 85. Sliders tailed away from a righty. Change-up sinkers, four-seamers tailed into a righty, at least according to this center line. I want to do more research and figure out like what center line they're looking at here to have the movement of the various pitches. Because I don't know if I've really described to you if any of you even like know what I'm looking at. Like I said, it's from Baseball Savant, and it's the pitcher reports that they generate. And on the movement, it's got this grid, and it's got the drop and the lateral movement in inches. And there's a zero center line. And then you've got, as you're looking at it, going to the right, plus six, plus 12, plus 18, and going to the left, minus six, minus 12, minus 18. And then, of course, everything is on the drop is negative 24, 30, 36, 42, so on. So I'm wondering what they're really considering zero. Uh, I just say in reference to the center line most of the time. So if any of you can uh, help me out in the comments or whatnot, just uh, like I say at the end of each episode, let me know. Same release point looks like about four and a half, five feet. And all his strike zone, it like kind of stays right on the zone in and at the top of the zone to a righty and then goes down and out and away. Uh 38 pitches in the zone with 53 out of the zone. Batters would swing at 35 and take 56. Now they swung at both of those four seamers, uh, took a lot of his sinkers. Um, and it looks like they swung at more changeups than they took. 30 balls. Uh, 33 strikes, 25 of them called. Now, the majority of the called strikes were sinkers. Swing in strikes, eight, and those were three change-ups and five sliders. 28 pitches were hit in some way, 15 for foul tips, nine hits for outs, and four base hits. Both of those four seamers were contacted with, one was a foul tip, one was a hit for an out. And the four base hits, you had two change-ups, one slider, and one sinker. Three hard hits, all three of them were change-ups. One was a ground ball, two were line drives. And then calling the balls and strikes, Hunter Wendelstedt. Interesting name. He has an overall accuracy of 92% with an overall consistency of 93%. And in this game, he had an overall favor of plus 0.68 runs for San Francisco. When you look at his impactful missed calls, number one ranked, Top of the eighth, Rogers to Hampson, no outs, bases empty, 3-0 count, a ball is called a strike. Second, top of the seventh, Junis to Fortes, two outs, bases empty, 3-2 count, ball is called a strike. And then the third one, top of the second, Webb to Hampson, two outs, runners on first and second, 1-1 count, ball is called a strike. So all three of these impactful missed calls were in favor of the Giants. Hmm. And we still lost one to nothing. His called ball accuracy was 98%. Only two of the 83 called balls were true strikes. 
is called strike accuracy, however, was 85%, a whopping nine of the 62 called strikes were true balls. So I think next time I'm going to add up the, all those uh, missed calls between all three umps or four umps, depending on the, the series, to get that total. All right, so now we move on to Sunday. Game three, Woods on the bump. It wasn't a great clean start, but it also wasn't entirely disastrous, thanks to the offense providing support this time. He went four and a third, gave up six hits, four earned runs, two home runs while striking out five. Our lineup was as follows. Flores at first went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, and then Wade Jr. would come in to pinch hit and then play first. He went 0 for 1. Estrada at second went 1 for 4 with two strikeouts, an RBI and a run. Davis was DHing. He went 2 for 3 with a strikeout, a walk, a home run, two RBIs, two runs. Hanniger was in left. He went two for four with a strikeout, an RBI, and two runs. Uh, Yaz was in right. He went 0 for four with two strikeouts. Schmidt was at third. He had another multi-hit day, two for four uh, with an RBI. Bailey was catching. He went one for three with a strikeout, a run, two RBIs, and a home run. Crawford was at short 0 for three with a strikeout and a walk. And then Johnson was in center, one for three with a run. So that's nine hits and 32 at-bats with 10 strikeouts, two walks, two home runs. So Brevia was the first to relieve Wood in the fifth with two runners on. The first batter hit an RBI single. The next batter was uh, popped out to first, and then the runner on third was caught stealing out in a pickle. The official score recorded this out as birdie caught stealing home, catcher to second to third, the pitcher to shortstop to catcher. It was Entertaining, but also mildly confusing to watch. The next pitcher out of the pen for the sixth was Ryan Walker, making his MLB debut. It wasn't a clean or stress-free inning, but it was a runless inning. He pitched to a lineout, then got an infield single, a flyout, another infield single, and another lineout, leaving runners at first and second. So out, hit, out, hit, out. Okay, fair trade-off. Due to the Giants scoring twice in the bottom of the sixth, Walker also earned the win. He came out to, uh, for the top of the seventh, but gave up a single, causing Kapler to choose to bring out Junis, who got a double play, gave up a single, and got a foul out to first. Junis also pitched the eighth inning and got a 1-2-3 inning via strikeout, popout, and flyout. Duvall came out for the ninth. He gave up an infield single, then got a lineout and strikeout. The batter on first took second on a fielder's indifference. The next batter hit an infield single, and the runner on second scored on a throwing error by Bailey, trying to get the out at first. The next batter flew out to the right to end the game. The offense scored on a solo home run in the second, an RBI double in the third, a two-run home run in the third as well, an RBI single in the sixth, a sacrifice to the pitcher in the sixth, and an RBI single in the eighth. They left four on base, went five for nine with runners in scoring position. Bailey hit a two-out RBI. Davis, Estrada, and Johnson hit doubles. Bailey had a sacrifice, and Hanniger and Schmidt stole bases. The defense turned a double play, and Bailey earned an error. Now, Wood pitched 74 pitches to start the game. 39 sinkers, 19 sliders, and 16 changeups. 
Changeup averaged 50, or excuse me, 85.2. Sinker was 92.2, and the sliders 83.1. As for his movement, sliders had most of the drop coming in a little bit to a right-handed batter, and the sinkers and changeups were going away from a right-handed batter, with the changeups having more of a drop than the sinkers. Relatively same release point at about four and a half feet. His strike zone looks more like it starts up and away from a righty and comes down and in. He threw 44 pitches in the strike zone and 30 outside of the zone with batters swinging at 36 pitches and taking 38. It honestly looks to be about an even distribution among all three pitches. 24 balls were thrown, 24 strikes, 14 of them called, 10 of them swinging. And then 26 of his uh, pitches were contacted with in some way, 12 foul tips, eight hits for outs, and six base hits. Those base hits were three sliders, one changeup, and two sinkers. Hard hit balls, he had two ground balls and two fly balls. The ground balls were changeups, and the fly balls were sliders. And then calling the balls and strikes was Brock Ballou. He has an overall accuracy of 91%, overall consistency of 91%, overall favor plus 0.24 runs for the Giants. His impactful missed calls. First ranked, top of the ninth, Deval Edwards. One out, runner on first, 3-2 count. Ball is called a strike. Second, bottom of the first. Lizardo to Hanniger, two outs, runner on first, 2-1 count, ball is called a strike. Bottom of the third, Lizardo to Flores, no outs, runner on second, first pitch, ball is called a strike. All three of these are balls called strikes, and two of them win against the Giants. Called ball accuracy, 94%, six of 101 called balls or two strikes. Called strike accuracy, 85%. Seven of 48 called strikes were true balls. So all three of the umps over the weekend had called strike accuracies in the mid-80s. I'd rather see that closer to the 90s, but oh well. So this series moved the Giants to 22 and 24, two games under 500, keeping them third in the NL West. They're six games behind the Dodgers, who are 29 and 19, four and a half games back of the Diamondbacks, who are 27 and 20. They're one and a half games ahead of the Padres, who are 21 and 26, and three and a half games ahead of the Rockies, who are 19 and 28. As for the wild card, the Mets currently hold the last spot at 25 and 23, putting the Giants two games out with the Marlins, the only team between the Mets and the Giants, themselves only a half game out at 24 and 23. So, we're right there. But that also means that the rest of the NL is pretty terrible. I mean, only one game that's out of the wild, or excuse me, only one team that's out of the wild card has a record above 500, and it's only by one game. So, let's look at a couple of the other trends that I kind of noticed. Yaz made it back out the IL last series and has had a slow start back. Uh, he's played four games, and he's gone 0 for 14 with three walks and eight strikeouts over four games, dropping his slash line from 298 
355-311-455. His defense is still working great, though, including a fantastic diving catch to end an inning on Sunday. Uh, so I believe he's going to turn it around soon. Like I said, it's only four games back from an IL stint. So hopefully this week he starts to get a stride back. Maybe he's still feeling a little bit, but um, yeah, that, that that type of decline is not something you like to see. You know, four games hitless. He'll he'll bust out of it. Uh, also, I brought up Estrada last episode of the episode before. Uh, recently, he had a three games with no hits. He now has a seven game hitting streak. Over the past two series, he's gone seven for twenty five with a walk and six strikeouts. Uh, hopefully he can have a couple of multi-hit games over the next couple of series. Um, as far as the Giants' bats so far, Fangrass has them ranked 11th overall if you're just looking at their dashboard. Uh, the walk rate and strike rates, uh, they're 19th in walk rate at 8.6% and 29th in strikeout rate at 25.6. The best team in strikeout rate right now, oddly enough, is Washington Nationals at 19%. The hitters are also sixth in home runs at 65, yet splash hit 100 remains elusive. In the defense, the Giants is ranked seventh overall on fan graphs, ranking fifth and outs above average. So all is not sour right now. If we can at least take two out of, the, two out of three over the next two series, we'll be back to 500. So those are things we just like as fans, we just have to keep in mind. We buried ourselves early in the season. We're clawing our way out. And just got to stick with it. And like I, I saw something interesting over the weekend when they were talking about the, uh, the Braves, honestly. And over the last two seasons, at this point in the season, the Braves were actually under 500. And the season they won the World Series, they weren't over 500 again until... Game 111, I think is what it said. So I guess all I'm trying to say as a fan who runs it, who has a podcast and talks to hopefully any other fans, I don't know how many are actually listening. Don't start to hate too much and lose too much hope this early in the season. I mean, yeah, we're a quarter of the way, but it's still early. There's still over 100 games to play. Until we start getting down to 60 and 50 games to play, I'm not going to hit a panic button yet unless we're just completely buried by that point. But every fan has a, has every right, and every person, and, and no matter what walk of life, has every right to gripe and moan and complain because it helps alleviate some of what you're feeling. It's fine. But I don't think it's worth getting so overworked at this juncture quite yet. That's my own take. It's just an opinion. It's not any type of fact. That's just the way that I look at it as a fan. Some of the big sparks, though, as far as what's going on with the Giants right now, are the young guys coming up in their play. Schmidt is playing great. He's getting hits. He's getting RBIs. His defense is good. Bailey has his, had his first three games now in the majors. One of them he didn't start, but he still came out. Yes, he earned an error, but those are growing pains. It's going to happen. This is a new level of baseball for him. But he got two games, back-to-back -back hits there. 
back-to-back games with hits. He's hit his first home run. He's got an, another RBI on top of that. These kids are playing at the big league level, and it's great to see, and you hope that it continues on and they are just building on, on it and not just having the spark and then they're going to fizzle out. Walker had his first inning pitching in the big leagues, and it wasn't terrible. Yeah, he gave up two hits, but he also got three outs before allowing anybody to, uh, to score a run. He didn't walk anybody. He didn't have a wild pitch. He didn't let anybody steal. Yes, it's one inning, but it's good to see. It's something to build on. And the more we get these guys up from the minors and we see that they can produce at the big league level, the better it's going to be for the team and the better it's going to be for the entire fan base. This is what the fans want and need. They need players that are young, that are going to stay with the club for a while, and that are going to produce and have spark and have enthusiasm and have this hunger for the game. Not only are these guys out there playing, they look like they're having fun. And that's the biggest thing. We, Oracle Park needs that spark. Because I've got to be honest, when I turn on the game and I'm watching on TV here in Hawaii, it's, it hurts to see that the stadium's not full, especially on weekend games or on Friday or Thursday night games. If I can hear somebody rooting for the other team while I listen to the game, I was, I was listening to the game on the radio uh, when we were playing the Phillies. And I could hear a guy, I guess he was like sitting right under the press box or something, just rooting for the Phillies, chanting for the Phillies. I was like, this is annoying. Why am I hearing on our broadcast, incidentally, some other guy for rooting for the other team. I get that there's frustration with the front office and the way things have run. And I understand where those fans are coming from. And I get that there's frustrations with the way the ballpark is run. I've, I've read a lot of things from guys on Reddit about how don't even get me started about the $9 beers. I've seen it. I've looked at it. You didn't make the beer cheaper. You just made it smaller. And even listening to the Giants Talk podcast with Pavlovich and uh, Cole Kuyper, the food doesn't seem like it's really gotten any better. And I'll admit I've never been. I'm making my first trip to Oracle Park this summer when my wife and I go on vacation. But all that notwithstanding, maybe it's just because I don't live in the area and that's 100% what it is. I don't live in the area. I don't understand what it's like to be in San Francisco. I don't understand what it's like to make that attempt. If you live there every day to go to those games, but as a fan that just wants to see the team succeed, the, the franchise succeed, I don't have any type of like skin in the game with whoever's in the front office. I don't care who the fuck's in the front office, make the right choice for the guys on the field and for the fans that fill your stadium. Cause Without the fans, your your club means nothing. So it just hurts seeing the ballpark only halfway full is all I'm saying, I guess. I'm not really sure if there was a point there. Maybe it was just some ranting, but there you go. So once again, thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. 
Uh, if you got any comments, pointers, tips, corrections, just let me know. I appreciate any and all feedback that I get. Um, once again, sources for all of my information of this one, ESPN, Baseball Savant, Baseball Reference, umpscorecards.com, The Athletic, Andrew Bagley and Grant Frisbee, and NBC Sports Bay Area with Alex Pavlovich. And might as well give a shout out to Cole Kuyper because I like some of his uh, emotional fan take as well. Uh, next series we got coming up, we're going to Minnesota to play the Twins for three, and then we're going to go play the Brewers. So I'll see you after the Twins series. Hopefully we pull out a win. Take it easy.